Our God is worthy, amen? amen. He is worthy of all the praise and glory, and we are blessed to be called his sons and his daughters. Uh, I know you just sat down, but I'm going to ask you to stand again. I apologize. I apologize. And if you would, open your Bible to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. We are there. We're going to begin reading in verse 12, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, verse 12. And you got it, say so. It says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Lord, thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for your word that is encouraging. Thank you for your word that inspires and directs our lives. God, in these next few moments, I pray that you would open our ears, that we would be able to hear from you clearly. I pray that you would speak to us, God, and that we would not just hear your word, but that we would respond to your word in faith. We want you to be glorified, and we pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are continuing in our series, Indivisible. Indivisible, as we started out last week, the call for the church to be unified. And today I want to talk about a unified focus, a unified focus. And so Philippians, again, is, a, is one of the prison epistles. It is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was imprisoned. And it is, a, it is a letter that you would think again that the Apostle Paul would be despondent, would be 
discouraged, and yet he was not. He was encouraged. He was, he was, he was um, grateful that God had even allowed him to be in the situation that he found himself in, that he finds himself in here. And when Paul writes in this portion, what he does is he does this. He wants to affect the way that the Philippian church is thinking. He wants to help them to see things from the right perspective. He wants to help them to, to, to understand that what he's going through, this incarceration that was unjust, by the way, it was an illegal incarceration. If you go back to the book of Acts and you can look at the book of Acts chapter 21 and start reading from there, you will see that this whole imprisonment that the apostle Paul was in was on false pretense. He wasn't, he, there was no need for him to be incarcerated. He was falsely accused on all accounts and yet he was incarcerated for two years without getting an audience and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want you to realize that he was in a a moment where you would be thinking, man, this guy should be discouraged. This guy should be frustrated. This guy should be overwhelmed with some type of despair. And yet, in the midst of this, he writes to this church in a way that is encouraging. And see, church, here's the reason why this message in the book of Philippians is so important. It's because we are living in a time of great confusion. We're living in a time where there's a lot of confusion. I mean, we probably never trusted politicians. We trust them even less now. <laughs> You know, maybe, maybe you were the type of person that, you know, you kind of questioned, maybe not all news outlets, but you questioned some. You would hear something and be like, huh, I don't know about that. Like, you, you know, you thought certain ways. Now we don't trust. But you know what's worse than all of that? What's worse than all of that is that the people that we should trust without question, we don't. We second-guess brothers and sisters. We second-guess people that, man, that, that just some, you know, if you think about it like this, uh, go back to February. Things have changed from February to now in a big way, have they not? Some things that you believe to be true are not true today. Some things that you knew are not, man, it's not, it's not like that anymore. Some things have occurred that have made you say, hmm, I, you know, I don't know what's going on. And, and or maybe you know what's going on, I don't know. But, but here we have the Apostle Paul writing to us. And why is this so important? Because the enemy is using this in order to distract us from what matters. All of this confusion he is using to distract us from what matters. And see, here's something that I thought about. If the enemy can, can distract us, he can control us. If the enemy can distract us, he can manipulate us. If the enemy can control us, he can influence us away from trust in God as good, especially when times are difficult. When situations are hard, when situations are more dire, when situations are more discouraging, if the enemy can distract you, he can make you start to doubt even the goodness of God. Be make you begin to question, is God good? But let me share this with you, and I want you to think about this this morning. Having a gospel-centered mindset is the key to us having a unified focus. Having a gospel-centered mindset is the key to us having a unified focus. Why does this matter? What does this have to do with the enemy distracting me? Because here's what happens. If we are not focused on Christ the way that the Scriptures command, if we are not focused on Christ the way the Scriptures call us to be, if we are not focused in a unified way on the gospel, we won't be unified in our outward focus as we live out the truths of Scripture. 
because we are distracted, because we are just like when you look back to the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve, especially Eve, because she was the one that had the actual conversation with the serpent. For some reason, she began to doubt, and is God good? Is he holding something back from us? Because this fruit looks good. This looks like something that we should be able to partake of. This looks like something that can benefit us in some way. And man, and now the serpent is saying, I'm looking at it, it looks good, it smells good. You know, you, you've been around fruit and you kind of smell, you know, and, and, and it's, man, all of this looks good. Why did God say that we couldn't eat of it? And the serpent is like, oh, he's trying to hold something back from you. He's trying to keep something from you. And, other, and, and, and sadly, God was trying to keep you from something. Hello. God was trying to keep them from something, not keep something from them. But see, the enemy had flipped it around. And now the thing that God was trying to keep them from became the thing they think, oh, God's trying to keep something from us. They began to doubt. The, the, the focus on God's goodness, on God's greatness was overwhelmed by deception. And so, church, we have to be a people that say, wait a second, God, what have you said? What are you communicating? What does your word say? Where and how should I be focused? And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, a unified focus will advance the cause of Christ. A unified focus will advance the cause of Christ. A unified focus will advance the cause of Christ. Let that sink in your heart. Because in this moment, there's a lot of causes that are wanting to be advanced. In this season, there's a lot of stuff that the enemy wants to advance, that people want to advance. But here is what the church needs to be concerned about. It is the advancement of the cause of Christ and nothing else. I don't need to worry about any other cause. There is one cause that we as believers have to be concerned about, and that is the cause of Christ. That is all the apostle Paul cared about. Look at what he says in verse Verse 12. Now, again, before we read that, just think about this. He was unjustly incarcerated. He was not in jail because he had broken a law, because he had done something wrong. They couldn't even accuse him of whatever it was that he was locked up for. And yet, this is what the Apostle Paul writes to the people of Philippi. Look what he says to them. He says, but I want you to know. In other words, I want you to understand this. Brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So notice Paul's heart, right? In this letter, he's telling me, hey, I want you guys to know something. That the things that have happened to me, those things that have occurred to me, those things that you know about, those things that you're concerned about, those things that you're heavy-hearted about, those, those injustices that have occurred here. Now think about it. This is Paul, and he is talking to them, and, I, and I'm laying the groundwork for what he is really going through. Because, again, a lot of times we read the Bible, and we are so disconnected, right? We're, we're, we're not connected to actually the time that it was occurring. And so we read words, and we want to just apply them in our and our our time. But what we have to do is we have to connect them to the time. And that way you can feel the heart of the people or the person who is writing and, and think about what the people are thinking about. These people knew that Paul was incarcerated. They weren't sure about what was going on. And so I told you that you can look at all of these things. So these things are recorded. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. In Acts chapter 21 verse 17, beginning there all the way to Acts chapter 28 verse 31, which is the end of the book of Acts. And this is what happens. It begins 
begins, what, what happens first? Paul is illegally arrested in the temple of Jerusalem. Why do I say it was illegal? Because let me tell you what they thought. One group of people thought they accused him of defiling the temple by bringing Gentiles into the temple. So just remember, in those times, there was different courts in the temple, right? There was a Gentile court, but Paul was a Jew. So guess where Paul was allowed to go? He was allowed to go into the, into the court where the Jews went. And what they thought, because Paul was now preaching to Gentiles, and there were Gentiles that were part of his company, is they thought, well, this guy is bringing unholy people into the holy place. False. He never did that. He never did that. He was making people fast. He was making people pray. He was circumcising folks. Come on now. Timothy was a grown man, and he said, hey, Paul was like, hey, you going to walk with me? We got to circumcise you, sir. I would have been like, I'm finding another church. Amen. God bless. All right. Praise the Lord. I love Jesus, but I don't know about all. You know, I mean, just, just, just imagine that. See, ladies, you're like, oh, it's all good. Man, no, no, no. If your husbands were told, hey, these are the things that got to happen before you can be a member of this church. But Paul was radical because he knew the laws and he wanted to make sure that, that, that he was living above reproach and that when Timothy came and walked with him, that, hey, Timothy wasn't going to be called out for being uncircumcised. He wanted to make sure of those things. Because what? Because Paul, although he was a, a, an apostle to the Gentiles, he was passionate for the Jewish people. And he was going to preach to them. And so that was the first thing they thought. Then the second thing, if you remember the story, the Roman officer that came, when he arrested Paul, who did he think Paul was? He thought Paul was this Egyptian guy that was, that, that, that was one of the most wanted. Are you here? Paul was none of the, 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 all this ruckus about Paul. And the Romans were like, man, you must be that Egyptian that did such and such. And Paul is like, I'm none of the above. These people want, want, want me arrested because I preach about the resurrection. Let that sink in. Because I preach the gospel, that's the reason why they have issues with me. That's the reason why they're going nuts right now. Because I'm standing for the truth of Jesus Christ, that's the reason why they're hating on me the way that they are. And so Paul is arrested, and then after two years, listen to me now. It wasn't like a month or two. After two years of him being in Caesarea, guess what? He appeals to Rome, and, and what happens is they send him to Rome. Then you know what occurs? While he's on his way to Rome, he's on a ship. These people didn't listen because they thought they knew everything. The ship is in the middle of a storm. The ship, like, you know, falls apart. They crash on the island of Malta. It goes from bad to worse. He's over there trying to do a fire. A snake bites him. Come on now incarcerated, shipwrecked, and getting bit by a snake. Huh. Things are looking rough, are they not? I would be a little frustrated. I don't know about you, but I would be a little bit frustrated. I'm just saying. If I was going through some stuff like that, I'm trying to live for Jesus. I'm trying to do the right things. I mean, like I told you last week, man, I get upset about stuff like this. Man, I, man I'm trying to live right for Jesus. And why is all this hell breaking loose? Why is all of this stuff happening? One of the biggest lies anybody's ever been told is that when you come to Christ, things are going to be easy. That's a false promise. That's not true. Not, not, not every person that is poor is going to be rich. Are you here? That's, that's not the Bible. That's not Scripture. Not, not, not every person, not every single thing that every single person wants are they going to have because they came to follow Jesus. That Listen, God is not about your idols. Hello. 
He's not about what you want. He's about what he wants. And he was taking Paul from one place to go and have him minister. And so Paul ends, and you see in the book of Acts at the end, he's still in prison, writing this letter, letting them know, hey, I want to come see you. He, he lets them know that. He has faith that he's going to come to them. We'll see that at the end when we wrap up our third point. But Paul is there, and he is shipwrecked. And he says something that's so amazing. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance, say furtherance, for the furtherance of the gospel. He said, I want you to understand something. Everything that you've seen happen to me, all the stuff that I've been through have advanced the gospel. Now, I want to get a little technical with you for a moment because this word furtherance is a really important word. And I thought it was cool when I saw the definition. It's from a Greek word that literally means to cut before. So it means to cut before, and it is thought to, be, to, to have been used of an army of pioneer woodcutters, which precedes the regular army, cutting a road through an impenetrable forest, thus making possible the pioneer advance of the latter into regions where otherwise it could not have gone. You see that? This is what this word means. It's a word that, is, that, that, that gives the picture of a group, right? You have a group of, you know, military people, and as they're moving forward and they're advancing, they come to a place in the road where they need someone to cut away. They need someone to make access points so they can actually continue forward in the path. that they, there's, no, there's no path there. They just know they need to move forward, and there's something in the way of them moving forward. You know, it's kind of like, for, you know, for those of you that, are, that, that have some understanding of this, of this um, tool called a machete. Come on now. Right? You go out there, Angel loves it, right? And, you know, you go out there and you have somebody who's walking in front of you. You know, you've seen it in movies, military movies, things like that. And there's someone who's walking in the forest before everyone else. And what is that person doing with that big knife? They're chopping away, chopping away. Doing what? Well, when they walk, there was a mess there. And when you walk by, it's cleared up. So just think about that on steroids. You have a group of people that are making a way. Can I tell you something? Paul realized, the apostle Paul realized that his life was being used as this, as this focal point to be able to do what? To be able to break down barriers. His life was being used as a vessel to be able to make a way and prepare a path for what? For things that had never been done before. For a gospel to be preached unto nations that had never heard the gospel before. For people to hear of a Messiah who had never heard of the Messiah before. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul understood his life to be. He realized, man, the hell I'm going through, man, it looks rough and it looks bad. But you know what? God is using it for the furtherance of the gospel. Not the furtherance of the Jewish people, not the furtherance of the Gentiles, not the furtherance of someone's agenda, the furtherance of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. His life was that. His life was being used that way. And here's what I want you to think about in the midst of whatever, you know, situations you may face and you may go through. Because I know right now it's heavy in the nation in which we live. I know it's heavy around the world. I know things get a little bit rough and, 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 and emotional and stuff like that. But the apostle Paul goes, on. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, check this out, 
having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to do what? To speak the word without fear. Did you know what Paul was doing? Everybody that was looking at Paul's situation realized what? Oh, man, this dude's a criminal. That's what the palace guard was thinking. This guy's a criminal. This guy's incarcerated. He done something really bad. He's been locked up for two years. Now he's here with us. There's a problem. You know what Paul's life was showing them? This has nothing to do with being a criminal. This has everything to do with Jesus. The reason I'm here is not because I'm a lawbreaker. The reason I'm here is not because I've done something to deserve this. The reason I am here is because Christ has me here. My chains are in Christ. But a second thing happens. That's pretty amazing, is it not? The other brethren, because of his chains, all of a sudden, people got bolder because they were like, wait a second. Paul is willing to die for this thing. Paul is giving his life for this thing. Paul is not playing a game. Paul is not just blowing smoke. Paul is not just talking stuff. No, no, no. Paul is about it. He's about that life, is he not? And because of that, now all of a sudden, these other people become bolder for the gospel. They become bolder for Jesus. And this is why this is important. How we live through the struggle matters more than we may ever know. How we live through the struggle. Are you struggling right now? Is there some struggle in your life, something that frustrates you, something that overwhelms you, something that, man, you just can't wait for this thing to be over? Hold on a second. Are you in that moment? My question is, how are you living in the midst of the struggle? How are you living in the midst of this moment of difficulty? Are you complaining? Are you whining? What are you doing? Are you giving God glory? Are you saying, well, you know what? She doesn't want to be this way. He doesn't want to be that way. Forget it. I'm not going to be that way. Time out. You and I are called to be who God called us to be, regardless of what he does, she does, they do or don't do. Are you here? (laughs) The apostle Paul was living in a way that inspired faith, not fear. Incarcerated. In a, in a position to die, and yet he was living in a way that was inspirational, not discouraging. You see, the way that we live in the midst of the struggle can either instill faith or fear. It can either promote boldness for Christ or exemplify conformity to circumstances. So either I become bolder for Christ, I become emboldened because I know, hold on a second, I am walking with the one who is the deliverer. I am walking with the one who is the savior. I am a representative of the king and the kingdom that is to come. Are you here? And I'm not going to bow to my circumstance. I'm going to live through the circumstance. And I'm going to glorify Christ through the circumstance. That's what Paul did. And so here's what we have to realize is our focus is what matters the most. So here's my question. Where are you focused right now? Right now in this moment, and again, I love to do this. Just rewind yourself for the last two weeks. Let's go back two weeks. For the last two weeks, if somebody, not you, because you know you're real, you're going to say, well, I'm focused on Jesus. Okay. For the last two weeks, let's just take a, a, a video of your life. And somebody else is reviewing the tape. When they review the tape of your life, are they going to say, man, Jonathan, you're focused on Jesus, man. Are they going to say, Lewis, you're focused on Jesus. Are they going to say, Cheryl, you're focused on Christ. Are they going to say that? Are they going to say, hmm, I don't know what you're focused on. Or are they going to say, I know what you're focused on. 
And listen, I, I haven't been in your life like that, right? I, I haven't been there looking at what you've been doing. And so I don't know. But you know who does know? God knows. You know who else knows? You know. See, you know the truth. You don't need me to be there. You don't even need God to tell you anything. All you need to do is you just, you, you did it right now, right? Especially the people that I said their names. They're like, hmm, let me see. <laughs> How have I been living for these last two weeks? Would my life say, man, I am focused on Christ. I am focused on the gospel. I am focused on bringing glory to Jesus. See, we must remember wherever our focus is, that's where we're going to point. Wherever our focus is, that is where we're going to point. So my, my other question is, where are you pointing people? When you have conversation, what's coming out of your mouth? Because you know what the Bible says? Jesus says something that's pretty peculiar. <laughs> From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that means that what's abounding in here is what's going to come out of here. You can only fake it so long, y'all. You can only pretend like you're all about Jesus for so long. What's consuming your heart? What's going on inside here? Who are you letting speak into your life? Who are you letting fill this, this, this crevice of your soul with information? Is it those who are godly? Is it those who are righteous? Are you in this word? Are you in prayer? Are you seeking him the way you should be? Are you focused on other stuff? Are you pointing people at other things and then just throwing Jesus in there every once in a while? See, followers of Christ, we have a mandate to focus on Christ and point to Christ as the only real and true hope for mankind. That's what we're called to do. That is what we are called to do. Paul was excited because people knew why his chains were, and people were becoming more bold for the gospel. Paul was all about that gospel life. That's what he was about 100%. He wanted to be sure that people knew about Jesus, that they were hearing about Jesus. He didn't care about all the other stuff that was going on. There was one thing that was a major focus, and it was Jesus. You know why? Because all of this stuff is going to pass away. But you're going to spend eternity with Christ or not. You're going to spend eternity. You're going to experience consequences, either positive or negative, based upon what you did with Christ in this life. Based on what you did, did you, did you surrender your life to Christ? Did you yield your life to Christ? Or did you just say a prayer one day and hope Christ made things better? I think Pastor Aldo said, you know, he's not just fire insurance. Come on now. It's what we think sometimes. Oh, man, I got to make sure I'm right with Jesus. Why? I don't want to go to hell. Hold on a second. Do you even care about the fact that you were separated from him in your sin, this, this ugly part of the gospel message, that you were bound in sin, you were dead in sin and trespasses, you were separated from God, you had no relationship with him because of what? Because of your own desires to sin against him. You could do nothing to connect yourself to him, and yet what did he do? While you were yet his enemies, he died for you. The beautiful part of the gospel. Jesus died to rescue you from your sin. Jesus died for sure to give you eternal life. But he doesn't want you to just think about eternity and live every day here on this earth for yourself. That's not what this is about. Listen, I'll tell you right now. If you are living this life for yourself, you're not following Jesus. 
If it's all about you and your bucket list, what about his bucket list? Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say unified focus rejoices where God is at work. A unified focus rejoices where God is at work. Look what Paul says. I, I told you what would have got me mad in the first point, but I'm going to tell you what's going to get me really upset in the second point. Verse 15, look what Paul says. He said, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed to the defense of the gospel. What then? Only. Look at the, this, this is Paul's response to that. Think about it. There's some people, like you get excited, right? When, I, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm teaching a class or we're in a connect or we're in a conversation, you know, somebody, you know, Pastor Aldo, he was telling me about one of his coworkers. Man, I get excited when you're telling me about how God is using you. I remember being in Connect, and Lewis was, was sharing when he first started working at Nemours and just kind of talking about, man, I see how God is using me. And, 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 you know, he wasn't even sure if God was using him. He was like, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, I, I need to speak or whatever. And he was going through all that. That excites me. You know Why? Because these are people that I know that are sincere, they're genuine, they're real about their walk with Jesus. But when other people start using the name of the Lord in vain, huh? when other people start talking about Jesus for their own gain, that doesn't make me happy. That's frustrating. I want to call them out. I want to make, I want to make it clear. They ain't real about this, man. They're faking. Mm -hmm. But look what Paul says. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, whether you're a faker or in truth, Christ is preached. In this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. See, a unified focus, you know what it does? It enables us to be able to rejoice where God is at work. It enables us to see, see, the Apostle Paul had plenty, plenty of critics. Those are also known as haters. Come on now. He had plenty of people that didn't like him. Plenty of people that were not worried about his chains, but were like, you see, if he was such a man of God, he wouldn't be in prison. If he was such a man of God, he wouldn't be in that situation. Come on now, be careful because we've done that too. Some of us have pointed at people's circumstance and be like, well, if they're such a man of God, they're such a woman of God, why are they sick? Why are they this? Why are they that? Ain't got nothing to do with it. Many times that has nothing to do with it. God is going to use that situation. But what happened is we must, you and I must recognize what? But that, that God can use anyone. Come on now. God's used donkeys to talk. Let him use the donkeys. Come on now. You know why? Because there's power in the word of God. And even if someone is preaching out of pretense, they're preaching falsely, you know what God is doing? God will use that. You know how many people have gotten saved under some bad teaching? Come on now. You, I mean, so, so you, you were hearing some word of faith baloney, and come on now. And, 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 and some of you, are, you're walking with Jesus today. You realize you woke up at some point. You know what God was doing? God used all that foolishness to draw you to himself. And so Paul understood, man, the power is in the gospel. Remember the book of Romans? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Listen, God will use whatever 
whatever and whoever. It doesn't mean he endorses them. It doesn't mean he thinks, hey, yeah, I agree with that. No, it doesn't mean any of that. That, that, that's the confusing part. See, the sad thing, you know, you know this, this is crazy stuff, man. But, but, but here's, you, you know, the book of Matthew, Jesus says, many will come unto me in that, day, in that day and say, did we not prophesy in your name? You notice what Jesus never says? Those prophecies weren't real. He never said that. Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we do, not do, do, do mighty works in your name? Jesus never denied any of that. You know what he denied? He denied them. Oh, you, you, don't, you don't want to humble yourself before me? You don't want to repent of your sin? You want to continue to live how you want to live but act like you're a Christian? You want to keep preaching in my name but you don't want to live for my glory? Okay, that's fine. That's your choice. I call you to repent. I call you to turn from sin. I call you not to abuse my grace. You know what? You want to be used? Okay. I, I remember preaching a sermon a long time ago. You have a choice. You can be used or you can be useful. I want to be useful. I want to be useful for the kingdom. I want to be useful for the king. See, in this moment of time in which we live, in this time that's so polarized, in this time that is so ugly, in this time, in the midst, especially, and I've been hitting this hard because, man, I want to make sure that I'm faithful to this. In the midst of this election season, listen, don't let that be your focal point. Don't let that be your only focus. Don't let that be the major thing that drives you. Don't let that be the thing that gets you up early. Don't let that be the thing that keeps you up late. Don't let that be the thing that drives you to Facebook or Twitter. Don't let that be the thing. What needs to drive your life is what? Is that, man, I want the gospel to be preached. I want Christ to be glorified. I want the name of my God to be lifted up. I want to be sure that I'm preaching the gospel clearly, that I'm making sure that people hear and know, man, there is hope in one, and that is Jesus alone. That's what we have to make sure we're doing. The second thing, or the third thing, I'm sorry, that I would ask you to repeat after me is this, say, a unified focus requires a sure hope. A unified focus requires a sure hope. Paul goes on to say this. I love this. Look at verse 19. He says, for I know. He didn't say I think. He didn't say I hope. He said for I know that this, that this circumstance, that everything that I'm going through, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Some versions say salvation. Through, now check it out, your prayer and the supplication of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing... This is his hope. I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always now, also Christ, check it out, will be magnified in my body, whether in life or in death. You know what Paul said? Whether I die, Christ is going to be glorified. Whether I remain alive, Christ is going to be glorified. That's the way that he was living his life. He was living his life in full assurance. And then what does he go on to say? A verse that we're all familiar with, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. See, that's where his confidence was. For him to live, it was all about Jesus. He didn't care if you knew his name. What he cared about is you knew who Jesus was. 
He didn't care about what anybody thought of him. He cared about what people thought about Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die, oh, is gain. Because while I'm living, i got to suffer. While I'm living, I've got to be incarcerated. While I'm living, I've got to be persecuted. While I'm living, I've got to deny my flesh. While I'm living, I have to go through all of these different things. But when I die, no more. When I die, no more suffering. When I die, no more sorrow. When I die, no more heartache. When I die, guess what? All of the past is gone. The new has come. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I want you to realize this. Insecurity is the enemy of faithfulness. But assurance is the fuel for faithfulness. God has called us to be faithful. And when the enemy can distract us, like I said earlier, guess what happens? When we get distracted, we become insecure. You ever been walking somewhere where you got to, like, balance? So Lewis and I have been riding, we, we've, been, we've been riding bikes the last couple of days. And there's a little portion that we always ride through that I always, and I don't know if you do this when we're driving down this little spot, but as you're going down this road, right now they're doing construction on the sidewalk. So you have to ride, like, on this space that's, like, this big. And in that moment, when we're on this space that is this big, and because it's on top of a sidewalk, I'm like, Lord, I pray that nothing happens that makes me fall that way because I could die, like, immediately, like, legitimately, right? (sighs) If I get distracted and I turn away and start having a conversation with somebody or whatever the case is, guess what? I become insecure. I become unstable. But I know as long as I'm focused, as long as I'm looking at what I need to be looking at, I'm not worried about that. Nonetheless, those thoughts keep me alert. They keep me vigilant, right? They keep me, like when we're riding down the path or whatever, and there's nothing but grass and stuff on the side, I'm like, the worst that could happen is I end up in grass. I'm not thinking about any of that stuff, right? I'm not worried about that. However, in the moment when I'm in that tight spot and I'm in a place where there could be some hurt, there can be some damage that is done, guess what? I'm vigilant. I'm focused. Whenever we are insecure, it leads us to unfaithfulness. Whenever we are insecure, we're not sure about what God is going to do. Man, I don't know if I can continue on this fight. I don't know if I can continue on this path. Maybe I need to move to another direction, another place, another space. Wait a second. God calls us to what? Trust him. Because when we are secure, that fans the flame. That's the fuel for our faithfulness. Notice, though, I want you to notice this because this is so important, church. Paul's hope was twofold. It was in the prayers of the saints, and it was in the supply of the Spirit. Notice that. Paul's hope was not only, now now listen, it was primarily in the Lord. It is rooted in God. But you know what he also knew? He had a church that was praying for him. He had a church that was praying for his deliverance. He had a people who were praying for success. And he knew what? Oh, man, I know. God is going to bring deliverance to me. And at the end, he goes on and says what? And we won't continue on. But at the end, just look at verse 26. Verse 26, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So it seems like Paul was excited about the fact that, you know, the prospect that, you know what? God is going to deliver me from this. I'm going to be able to see you again. And you guys are going to rejoice even more because we're able to be together. Paul was sure 
about what God said and what God said he was due. We, you and I, church, must strive to live a life that we can declare and we can mean. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. That is only possible, though, if your faith is being firmly rooted and built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. If something else is rooting you, if something else is, is your focus, then you're going to have a problem. But if you are focused where you should be focused, then guess what? You're going to have that assurance. You're going to be able to say to live is Christ. To die is gain. Here's my closing question. What has been your greatest distraction? And that can be two weeks. That can be two years. That can be all your life that you can remember. What has been your greatest distraction from Christ? And the second part of this question is so important. And are you willing to refocus? Listen, it's one thing to recognize that you have not been focused. I want you to see that. If you have not been focused, I want you to recognize that you have not been focused. But it's one thing to recognize you haven't been focused. It's another thing. It's a totally different thing to be able to realize, man, I haven't been focused, but the gospel is enough so I can refocus. Jesus is enough so I can refocus. So that's my question. What has been your greatest distraction? And are you willing to refocus? Are you willing to refocus? Hmm. I will encourage you this way before I pray. Some of you know that I sent out this devotional, this five-day devotional that I started this morning. We had a beautiful prayer time. There was like, I think, six, of us, six or six, six of us on the call this morning, and we were able to pray together. And it's all about, if you look at the return.org, you'll see it's all about returning. It's really about refocusing that begins with repentance. And so listen, it's a five-day devotional. It's going to go tomorrow morning all the way to Thursday morning. Five o'clock in the morning, I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to go through this devotional time, and we're going to pray. Listen, if you have been unfocused and you really want to be about it, I encourage you, go to, the, go, go to Realm, click on the links, grab onto the, to the devotional that is there, do day one by yourself before this night is over, and join me tomorrow morning at five o'clock in the morning so we can pray together, so we can refocus together, so we can come before God and we can humble ourselves before him. Because you know what? It's not just one day that you're going to say, yes, I'm going to refocus today. You need some radical decisions in your life in order for you to really be refocused the way that you need to do. And so if you say, man, I've been, I've been, I've been unfocused. I've been focusing on the wrong stuff. Christ has not been my focus, and I want to refocus. That is my challenge to you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, right now we come to you, and we thank you so much for the precious and holy blood of our Savior. We thank you for the life that we have in Christ and the deliverance that we have through Christ. And so, Lord, you know our hearts. You know where we've been unfocused. You know where we have not been in alignment with you. <clears throat> and so give us a heart of repentance in those areas. Let us not think that we can focus tomorrow, but let us repent today and commit to refocusing now. Lord, let us be radical And let us turn our hearts to you completely, God, that our focus would be on you and on you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. So we're going to partake of communion at this moment. Communion is a moment that we get to refocus, is it not? If you don't have communion, raise your hand and the ushers will bring communion to you. If you, if you didn't grab a cup before you entered in. But communion is a gospel picture. The symbolism of communion is why we are able to worship God in confidence. The reason why we're able to sing songs that even matter, the reason why we're able to pray and we know that it's heard is because of the symbolic nature of communion. Communion is this gospel picture that reminds us of sin, reminds us of Savior, reminds us of salvation. It reminds us that we are sinners who are separated from God by our sin. It makes us think about what sins we're struggling with. It makes us think about those things, man, that don't honor God. At least it should. We all struggle. The Bible says clearly we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one who is outside of that all. Every one of us sins and falls short of the glory of God. The Bible says that if you say you have no sin, man, you make God a liar. I don't know about you. I don't want to be the one to try to make God a liar. I know that I have sinned, but you know what the Bible also says? That God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That if you will confess your sin, he will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Why is that possible? Because of the second thing we remember, our Savior. Because of the Savior who died. The symbolism is this bread symbolizes his broken body for us. The cup symbolizes his shed blood for us. And so we are able to refocus. Every week when we come together in this special sacred moment, it's so important that we don't take this moment for granted. That we cherish it, that we value it. Because you know what? I say this. Jesus' body was not just broken for any reason. But Jesus' body was broken so he could put his body back together. And that's us, brothers and sisters. Reconciling us to each other. Not just friends, brothers, sisters, family. See, we have to discern the Lord's body. Do we love our brothers? Do we love our sisters? Do we honor them? Do we cherish them as we should? That's part of what communion is supposed to remind us of. And the last thing is our salvation. We rejoice because Jesus didn't just die, but he rose again. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. And as we look forward to that day where there is unhindered, uninhibited rejoicing in his presence, as we look forward to that day, it should be our mission to share this truth with as many people as we possibly can. And to invite, to encourage, to exhort as many people as possible to turn from their sin and to trust this Savior so they can have hope. Of salvation. I read the scripture that we read weekly, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. It says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I just want to pause there. Let God examine your heart right now. You examine your heart right now. Just right where you are. Just bow your heart before the Lord. He says this, for, who, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, with an unexamined heart, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Lord, we thank you for the precious blood that was shed for us. We thank you for the holy body that was broken, the flesh that was torn for us. May we honor this moment as sacred. May we honor this moment and cherish this moment as holy. As you sup with us now, may we recognize your presence. If you're able to stand, would you stand so we can partake of communion together?